Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Today, the question is this, are Christians eternally secure or not? What does the Bible teach about this? And so our text is John chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 27 to 30. And this is one of the most central, key, preeminent texts on this issue. And so here's the context. Jesus is um, in the temple, and he's got these Jewish people kind of gathering around him, and they're uh, asking him if he is the one, if he's the Messiah. And Jesus is telling them, yes, I am, but they don't believe it, and they're rejecting what they're hearing. And Jesus gives an explanation for why it is they don't believe. And he says the reason is because I have a flock of sheep that have been given to me by the Father, and you're not among the sheep. That's the problem. That's why you don't believe. And that's the context of this conversation. And from there, Jesus uh, continues and gives us some important teaching here about the question of eternal security. So let's stand now for the reading of God's word. John chapter 10. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 25, actually, and read till verse 30. So Jesus answers these Jews, and he says, I told you, and you do not believe. I told you that I'm the Messiah. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Our God, we call on you to send your spirit to soften hearts and open eyes, and to adorn this message with your truth and your blessing and your favor to draw people to yourself in saving faith and to build up your church in righteousness and holiness. God, do that now through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when we seek to answer this question, are Christians eternally secure or not, it, it requires a balanced answer. And the, the, the two balanced statements are, are these two. One, God will preserve. Yes, that's true. But the balance to that, the other side of the coin, is that you must persevere. And they're both true. And those are our two points this morning. So the first one is, is this. God will preserve. Wonderful promise in Scripture. One of the greatest blessings of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon once said, if I didn't believe in eternal security, I wouldn't have any hope at all. I would be so insecure in my faith if I didn't think that this was true. And in this passage, we have this wonderful affirmation of God's commitment to preserving his people. And if we look at this text, there's really two things I want to know. One is kind of just a, a kind of a fine grammatical point. Uh, if you look at verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Now, there's something that's kind of lost here in the English. In, in the original language in, in Greek, there's actually two negative words there for never perish. Uh, it, literally, it would be like they will not not perish. And the, the term for this is an emphatic negative. 
so what Jesus is saying in the strongest terms possible is that those who have eternal life can never perish. It's impossible that that can ever happen to someone who possesses eternal life. Now, who possesses eternal life? Well, we look throughout the rest of the book of John, and you can see that pretty clearly from this passage in particular. John 5, 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That, that's the person who has eternal life. It's, it's, not, it's not the religious person necessarily or the church goer or the morally upright person. It's the one who hears the word, the gospel proclaimed, then believes in Jesus and the promise is that upon faith placed in Jesus, eternal life is given. And then that person doesn't come into judgment, not under the condemnation of God, but has passed from death into life. That's a Christian. Jesus is describing a Christian. And what he says in verse 28 is that, that the person in that state before God will not not perish. Never perish. Jesus is emphatic, it's impossible, it can't happen. So a wonderful declaration here of security. Now there's also in this passage a wonderful metaphor that makes the same point. At the end of verse 28, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. And then he says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus is using this, this metaphor of his hand, reaching out, like, his, like we, we are in the hands of Jesus, that Jesus is holding us right there in his hand. And what, what happened is the Father gave to the Son the sheep, the people that the Father wanted to save. And the Father said, Jesus, go do it. Go save these people. Sent the Son into the world. The Son came into the world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, shed his blood, was resurrected from the dead, purchased, bought, saved, redeemed his people. And because of that finished work, Jesus holds his people in his hand tightly and securely. And as if that's not enough, that whole image is doubled in verse 29. Because look what he goes on to say. My Father who has given them to me, the sheep from before the foundation of the world, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one's able to snatch my people out of my hand, Jesus says, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand either. And if you can kind of picture Jesus' hand gripping his people and then the Father's hand on top of Jesus' hand gripping them as well. You've got this double grip, kind of like a group hug, I guess. <laughs> I don't mean to be irreverent, but that's kind of what, what it's like. There's both persons of the Trinity are united. I and the Father are one, certainly a statement of the divinity of Jesus, but it's also a statement of the unity of purpose that the Father and the Son have in saving and protecting and preserving his people. It's a wonderful blessing. D.A. Carson says it like this, there is no force or being sufficient to sever the relation between the true believer and Jesus Christ. There can be no greater security. We are secure, Christians. We're secure. And this is not the only passage that teaches this. We can look throughout the scriptures and see a number of other examples making this same point. Here's 1 Peter 1. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's a Christian. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, 
and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. You might say preserved in heaven for you. How much stronger can it be? Our salvation, it doesn't perish. It doesn't go away. It doesn't get stained or defiled. It doesn't fade away because someone else is keeping it for us. The Father in heaven preserving our salvation. Philippians 1, similarly, he who began a good work in you, that's referring to the time when a person becomes a Christian, when a person is born again. That's the work of the Holy Spirit beginning in a person. And when that happens, the promise is that the one who began that work is going to finish it at the day of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again, God's going to finish what he started. We're so used to people not doing what they say they're going to do, right? We've heard so many false promises, so many false vows. We have so many expectations that people are going to do this and that, and they fail us. That's not the case with God. He finishes what he starts. And then Romans 8, maybe next to John 10, the most significant passage on this issue. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, how more comprehensive would you expect Paul to be? (laughs) Nothing can separate you from Jesus if you're a Christian. Nothing can take eternal life from you. You're secure. Now, some people look at this passage and they say, yeah, okay, well, nobody can snatch me out of Jesus' hand, but I can jump out of Jesus' hand. (laughs) And maybe some of you have heard that. Well, I I would just say nothing in all creation would include you, (laughs) and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Well, again, that includes you too. It's It's a comprehensive statement that includes every single person, including you. You can't snatch yourself out of Jesus' hand, and neither can anybody else. There's so many things in which we seek to find security in this life. So many things on which we set our hopes. Our health, our intelligence, our jobs, our careers, our portfolio, our money, our spouse, our children, our reputation, our cars. Every one of those things is subject to being lost. Every one of those things is vulnerable. Every one of those things is shaky and unstable and could be gone tomorrow. But not salvation in Christ. It's not like those things. It's stable. It's secure. It's fixed. And the wonderful thing that is being taught to us here is that this is the case even though our faith and our obedience and our devotion is shaky and unstable. Feeble at best. We all know what it's like. I mean, some days we love God, some days we don't. Some weeks we're praying, some weeks we don't. Sometimes we're feeling close to God, sometimes he seems far away. We make all kinds of promises to God, we don't fulfill them. But God fulfills his promises to us. God is so much more committed to saving you than you are to saving yourself. God is more committed to you than you are to him. And that's, that's our hope. That's our hope. So that's the first part. That's the balance. I mean, let's relieve that and take it and rejoice in it. John 10 says it. But to bring in another kind of example, um, it's kind of like 
a life preserver. You know, if you can picture a person who's in a lake and maybe he's, you know, thrashing about, can't swim, and somebody throws him a life preserver and he puts the life preserver on, he's, he's preserved, right? I mean, what, what do you have to do to keep yourself afloat when you have a life preserver? Really nothing. The, the preserver is what holds you up. And that's kind of the way the, the, the grace of God is in the gospel. But if you're going to get to shore, you've got to swim. You've you got to put forth some effort. And, and so that leads to the second part of, of this doctrine and the answer to this question. God will preserve, yes, but you must persevere. And the reason this is so important to understand is because it would be very easy to read a passage like John 10, Romans 8, Philippians 1, and to conclude from that, wow, if that's true, if I'm secure as a Christian and nothing can take salvation from me, then what difference does it make how I live my life? I can do whatever I want. I don't have to go to church on Sunday mornings. I don't have to pray. I don't have to read my Bible. Sexually, I can be as liberated as I want. I can hoard my money for myself. I can hold grudges against my enemy. It doesn't really matter because salvation is secure. That's, that's the major criticism of this doctrine and why some people don't believe it because they think it leads to that conclusion. This is just a license for people to live lives of rampant disobedience to God if you tell them that their salvation is secure for all eternity. And the response to that person is, your problem is you're not reading the whole Bible. You're not keeping the answer in balance. It's like listening to the prosecutor, not the defense attorney, or the other way around, because the Bible has more to say about this issue. The Bible says, Christian, you gotta persevere. And I could show you a whole bunch of passages that would show this, but I'm just going to choose three. And what the Bible would say is, first of all, this. You need to persevere in grace, in clinging to grace. So let me show you what, what I mean. If we look at Galatians 5, um, this is one of those passages that people look at and say, how can you say that our salvation is secure? How can you say that when it says this? I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. There's the phrase. Wait a minute, I thought you said salvation was secure. Well, I, I don't think that Paul is teaching here that you can lose salvation. So here's the background. Those who accept circumcision were part of something called the circumcision party. These were people who believed in Jesus, they trusted in Christ, but they thought there's something else in addition to believing in Jesus that you need to do in order to be saved. There's, there's, there's something you have to add to it and that is you have to follow this religious observance. You have to be circumcised. It's a little bit like people saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but you also have to be baptized in order to get to heaven. Or you have to be a member of a church in order to go to heaven. And so the circumcision party was saying, Jesus is great, but there's something else. You've got to obey the law in addition to Jesus in order to be saved. And what Paul is saying is, if that's you, if you accept circumcision in that way, what you're doing is you're, you're canceling out the, the gospel. Because if you receive Jesus and trust in him alone for your salvation, what you're also saying is, I can't save myself. 
But as soon as you start relying on something like circumcision or some obedience to the law to save you, what you're saying is, I can save myself through this particular effort. And and these are mutually exclusive. You can't have it both ways. So if you're going to cling to some kind of religious observance and think, I know I'm going to heaven and I know God loves me because look at all these things I do, you've fallen away from grace. Not that you've lost your salvation. You just, you can't do both at the same time. It'd be like if somebody gave you a gift and you got your checkbook out and tried to write a check for it. As soon as you try to pay for the gift, it's not a gift. It's not free anymore because you're paying for it. So you've fallen away from the freeness of the gift, you you might say. And that's the, the point that Paul is making here. We're called to persevere in grace in the sense that we have to constantly remind ourselves that that is our only hope for salvation, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We all have this tendency to fall back on self-righteousness and a feeling of moral superiority. As we compare ourselves with others in the church or outside the church, we think we're better because these things that we do. And that's when we have to be reminded to repent of our righteousness to repent of anything in ourselves that we're clinging to and turn back to grace. So this passage is not teaching that you can lose your salvation. Well, here's another example. You need to also persevere in holiness. You're called to persevere in holiness. Hebrews 3. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So there's one of the passages that makes us a little nervous. Wait, you said that we were eternally secure. Now what this passage seems to say is if we don't hold our confidence to the end that we're gonna be lost, that we're gonna lose our salvation. It's a conditional statement. You're only gonna be saved if you keep on persevering. Well, again, I think we gotta read this very carefully. I don't think this is saying that you can lose your salvation. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that the one who perseveres to the end gives vindication, gives evidence, gives proof to the world that something really did happen in the beginning. That when you persevere, when that day comes and you're still clinging to Christ, it's not that God is rewarding you and saving you because of your perseverance. It's just God saying, see, this is the real deal. Because real, genuine believers don't give up. They persevere. And evidence of that will be shown on the last day. I mean, sometimes we wonder, how, are we gonna, how do we tell the real Christians from the false ones? And, you know, it's hard to tell. We, we, we don't always know. We can tell them by their fruit to some extent, but here's the one proof of who is a genuine Christian, the one who perseveres to the end. The one who on the last day is still saying, Jesus, I love you, you're my Lord and you're my Savior. I've failed you in a lot of ways, I've lived a life that hasn't honored you in a lot of ways, but my only hope is you. My eyes are fixed on you. On that last day, that's, that's gonna be the proof of who truly belongs to Christ. One more example that's kind of similar to this. We must also persevere 
in faith. Colossians 1, 22 to 23 says this, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And again, we have this same conditional statement. If indeed you continue in the faith. So what Paul seems to be saying here again is not that you're going to lose your salvation, but the promise of salvation is not promised to unbelief. So there are some who will say, for a time, I think I believe in Jesus, yeah. And they're happy to receive the promise of eternal life. But then they decide, you know what? You know, the resurrection doesn't really sound right to me. The fact that Jesus had to shed his blood to save sinners sounds so violent to me. Just, you know, Christians I know are hypocrites. They're bigots. I I just, I don't don't know. I don't know if I believe that stuff anymore. But maybe they still hold on to this. I think I'm gonna be okay, though, because I think Pastor Bob said I'm eternally secure. And so I guess, you know, maybe it's not such a big deal if I just decide that I think this whole thing is a farce. But what Paul is saying is, no, if you continue in the faith, if you continue clinging to the gospel, the basic elements of the gospel, the existence of God, the sinfulness of mankind, our separation from him and all that God has done to save us through the giving of his son, his shed blood and his resurrection and his promise of coming again for his people, that's the faith very briefly stated. And the promise is that if you continue in the faith, you will be saved. It will be revealed to everyone that that you're genuine, that you're the real article. So we might say, why are these passages here? They kind of make us uncomfortable. And I think the way to read these passages and many others that seem to call into question whether we are eternally saved or not is not to look at these as threats of losing salvation but to look at these as exhortations that God is giving to us to stay vigilant, to not fall asleep, to not become complacent, to not focus so much on eternal security that we lose our passion and our devotion and our seriousness about growing in holiness and knowing Jesus and reading his word and praying and sharing the gospel. It's just so easy for our hearts to grow cold. So God puts these scriptures in here to say, wake up, Christian. You better not presume upon the grace of God. Because if you fall away and get to the point where holiness is not interesting to you, grace means nothing to you, and you don't even know if you believe it, you're not losing salvation. It just becomes evident that you never knew salvation. You never knew Jesus. Because if you did know him and he had saved you, he would preserve you to the end. Because God finishes what he starts. William Hendrickson says this, if it is true that the saints will persevere to the end, then it is equally true that they must persevere to the end. And one of the means which the apostle uses to ensure that his readers do not fall into a false security is to stir them up with warnings such as this. So if you read these passages, fall away from grace, if you continue, if you keep holding, and you just feel a little bit alarm in your heart, you know, ooh, I don't know. Uh, I better get a little more serious about my faith. If that's your response, boy, that is a really good sign. That's a sign of the Spirit of God. That's a sign of God using his scripture 
to stir you up. That's how God preserves his people. It's one of the ways he does it. He sends his Holy Spirit, but he also gives you scriptures which send out some warnings. Um, I've done some reading on the way geese fly, and um, there's a lot of interesting observations about um, the way geese get in like a V formation, for instance, and you know, apparently this formation is designed in just such a way that it uh, allows the geese to have a lower heart rate and allows them to, to fly longer distances. And um, <clears throat> if, a, if a bird gets sick or gets shot or something and falls to the ground, other birds will come down, like two other birds will come down and like, you know, care for, for the goose there until the goose either dies or is restored enough to, to fly away and try to rejoin the flock. But you've all looked up in the sky sometime and seen a flock of geese and, and you've heard the sound. You've heard them honking, right? You hear them honking. And what's interesting is that the lead goose very rarely makes a sound. He's, he's preserving, conserving energy. It's all the, the geese behind that are doing all the honking. And what they're basically saying is, keep going, don't give up. Go, 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 move. That, that's what they're saying in geese language. That's what, that's what honking means. Don't give up. Keep flying. Keep going forward. Keep moving. And that's what these passages are, are for in the scriptures. That's what the other passages that I haven't looked at are for. They're saying, don't give up, Christian. Keep going. So maybe you need some balance in your life, friends. I mean, maybe, I mean, have you just, have you been complacent lately in your faith? You haven't been praying. Weeks have gone by and you haven't said a word to God. You're not in the word. You haven't repented of a sin in months. You're holding grudges against people and you're happy about it. And you don't have any plans of doing anything about it. Friends, The promise is that if you persevere, if you continue, you will be saved. But what the writer of Hebrews says is, beware the deceitfulness of sin, the hardness of heart. Maybe there's some changes that you need to make in order to persevere. But friends, maybe you're one who, who is, you're struggling with, you're so full of anxiety and insecurity and fear and you're just afraid that you're just one sin away from being cast out of the kingdom of God. If that's you, you just got to recall God is more committed to you than you are to him. Go to John 10. Meditate on that. No one can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. And no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand either. Uh, just the best song to close here is, is uh, Before the Throne of God Above. We're going to sing that now. And there's just this wonderful phrase um, for, for any who are just feeling shaky, feeling afraid, carrying this anxiety, I mean, listen to this verse. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And while in heaven he stands, while Jesus is in heaven, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Nobody can dismiss me from his presence. Nobody can cast me from his presence. So we're going to sing that now. Let's pray and then the band can come forward and we'll sing. God in heaven, we thank you that you give us 
um, the promises of your gracious preservation. And we thank you also, Lord, that you warn us and stir us up through your word. Help us to persevere that you may get all the glory for preserving your people. In Jesus' name we pray.